0: welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we're doing a Wes Anderson movie. We are talking Asteroid City. I think this is only the second time we've ever gotten a chance to cover Wes Anderson on this podcast, and I am a big fan of his work. Although, as we'll get into the conversation, I do... Feel this one's a little bit on the lower end of his filmography, but still a lot to talk about. And joining me is Jason Harris from Awesome Movie Year. We got a bunch of puzzle pieces to get into, so uh, we got a fun conversation coming up. Before we get to it, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the show, you can drop a five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods or Spotify, and I would appreciate if you did that. You could also follow us on social media at Pod. join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, and don't forget about our Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, Awesome Movie Year, and from my music career. Lots of great stuff over there, so it's patreon.com slash Rosen. Check it out. So, with that said, let's just get right into it. Let's talk about Asteroid City. Jason Harris is back with us for a full one today. We're talking Asteroid City. Jason, how's it going? David
1: Rosen was a podcaster in the arts. He followed it up by pushing forward the boundaries of audio recording all the way through 2032, where he met his untimely demise, falling off of a building and impaling himself butthole first onto a spike. Let's take you back to those beginning days. Toodolo, do, 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 do do act one, scenes one through three.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Alexander Desplat, score plays. <laughs> uh <laughs> i i i'm i don't know how to feel about the fact that that's when i go but or how uh, you go
1: that's the pain or point. how i yeah. go
0: i guess it doesn't matter how you go it's when you go is what's more important but anyway uh we're talking wes anderson today this is gonna be
1: fun huh i i think it is fun i um you know it's wes anderson as you know uh from all of our awesome movie year discussions i'm a big wes anderson fan but at some point i want to rewatch all of them because like Rushmore used to be my favorite. And then when we covered that, I'm like, not my favorite anymore. So I think it's probably, um, it's still probably Tenenbaums or Moonrise Kingdom, although I love Isle of Dogs. So, you know, when we get to French Dispatch, that was my least favorite. So I was a little concerned uh, Mm -hmm. going into this. I know some people love it. Some people didn't like it. I really liked it. I thought this was quirky and ambitious. And even if it's a little too ambitious in some points, I was like, man, he's back to playing at a high level here. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah.
0: I, I fall on the not sure side of things. I I tried to be sure by the time we got to this recording session, but uh, I, I'm still kind of wavering on this one. I certainly didn't not like it, uh, but it would be towards the bottom of the list. I think I even like French dispatch a little bit more than this, but you know, as we're getting through puzzle pieces and stuff, maybe we will figure out what exactly it is that I'm not what, connecting what, with. What are
1: place. your uh, What are your favorites?
0: Uh, I agree with you, Royal Tenenbaums. Still, still the best, probably. Um, I also really love Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, you know, I love Isle of Dogs because uh, I'm a dog guy. I also. I mean, I think Rushmore is great. I think, uh, you know, Darjeeling Limited is great. You know, I honestly, I'm a huge fan of all of these. Movies. I'm
1: definitely excited to rewatch uh, Darjeeling and Life Aquatic because I didn't love Life Aquatic when it came out. And I think that deserves another watch. But, Darjeeling I liked and I was like it just got lost in the shuffle it seemed like right so I,
0: I feel like that was the moment when people started turning on him was Darjeeling where people were like eh this guy is kind of annoying and I was on board with it though I loved Darjeeling at the time and I never understood that criticism that he was this like
1: annoying twee whatever director I was like this is awesome it's an original vision I'm looking at an Esquire ranking of his uh, movies from 10 to 1 and they picked uh they picked Asteroid city as one and they picked rushmore as two which i'm surprised about because i when we brought like i loved rushmore in college and throughout my 20s and uh, my old friend jake who i haven't heard from in years so screw off jake um (laughs) has always said like you know um we, the the test of a lady that you want to date is uh you show her rushmore and if she likes it then you can date her or a fella nice. you know um, sure, sure but i feel like now if you watch rushmore max fisher is uh extremely unlikable and a lot of ways um just uh crosses a lot of lines that you're like why are you doing that bro and it's not as much fun as it was back in the day you know who is likable Jason Schwartzman
0: in Asteroid City. I thought he was like the shining like aspect of this film. I think he's so good.
1: I agree. He and Scarlett Johansson both just killing the game on this one.
0: Absolutely. Well, we'll get into a whole lot more about Asteroid City and what goes down in this movie as we're going along. But what do you have for your first puzzle piece?
1: Well, Dave, I mean, like, let's take it off right away. Um, Other Wes Anderson movies, right? You know, he's dealing with similar themes here. So. Um, you know, you you can pick the ones you want, but like uh Moonrise Kingdom, I think is a fair one because you know, these are uh junior stargazers and as opposed sure. to like, you know, kind of a, a scout troop going out there. Um, the dealing with a loss of a mother, I think we know from uh, Royal Tenenbaums and everything like that. So I just wanted to first I had to say like he's influent and then even, you know, there's uh this is about a play. So we get back to Rushmore there and everything. So I think he's playing with a lot of themes that um, he's already played with at this point in time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll add into your puzzle piece there, uh, you know, you've got the French Dispatch because of the newspaper as a framing device. And here it's a TV show uh, and then a a TV show about a play even. And then uh, you also, you know, you you talked about the loss from Royal Tenenbaums, but also, you know, kind of just that melancholy vibe. You can also extend that to the Life Aquatic as well. So, yeah, he's definitely dealing with a lot of uh similar themes to what he's dealt with in the past, and I think he's maybe kind of looking at those those themes and kind of like trying to refigure them out all over again and I don't know if that's what is not working for me because it almost feels like what what I stepped away from this movie walking back to my car after the movie was over was that he didn't know what to think about his
1: previous films. Like that's kind of what I got out of this. Mm. I mean, I think, you know, I was going to say life aquatic because there's an element of space here and life aquatics all about, uh, underwater. So you, you know, yeah. uh, you often pair those together. And then I think you could also say, you know, the Steve Carell character is kind of like the opposite of a Ray Fiennes character in grand Budapest in some ways. Yeah. Right. So it's really, you know, hitting a lot of uh, themes he played with, but I I see, I mean, if your argument is like, he's doing that, but he's not as focused in uh, because he's doing so many of these things, I could see why that would be um, kind of harrowing as a viewer. To me, what I thought was like, this is interesting because there's like, um, uh, you know, the same way French dispatch used like that kind of newspaper as like um, a backbone to get into the stories, We have this Mm -hmm. narrator character played by Brian Cranston talking about how uh, the play came to be. And then we see elements of the play and then we see some backstage stuff at the play. So I was like, huh, he's really playing with the form here of all these different elements that go into it. But sometimes you just wanted to stay in Asteroid City, um, you know, as opposed to the play uh, behind the scenes of Asteroid City. Yes, absolutely.
0: I agree um i i will go to another piece uh step away from uh from wes anderson's own work for a minute and this is definitely one of those ones that i bring up a lot on this podcast but i absolutely have to today uh and that's going to be charlie Kaufman's synecdoche new york um we're dealing with a uh a show a play within a show and that show is within this movie that we're watching and the layers upon layers of meta-ness they do start to blend together there's Like probably the best line of the movie is during the uh, moment where Schwartzman is talking to Margot Robbie in her, you know, one scene moment. uh, And he says, hey, you're the wife who plays my actress. And uh, it's like the the fact that he's kind of getting it confused uh, in that moment. It kind of, to me, felt a lot like in Synecdoche, New York, as Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is starting to kind of
1: lose the grip of exactly which version of himself uh, he's dealing with at any given. I, I think that's fun. I mean, there's another line, I think, um, uh, Tilda Swinton says it where she's like, I never had kids. Sometimes I wonder if I wish I should have had them, you know, <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah. it is playing with that. That Margot Robbie seed is a stunner, man. She just comes yeah. in and just lights that thing on fire right there, you know? So, you know, when you're talking about that, I have a couple of pieces that we're talking about like the framework of a story of uh, what's going on on stage and on screen or, or off screen or on stage and off screen, we covered the last Metro, the true movie, um, sure. and a uh, awesome movie year in the 1980 season. And then also what I thought was so interesting about that is different circumstances, but you know, um, the playwright or the director, the director had to, and the playwright had to live, um inside the playhouse underneath underground he was in hiding right because it was during a Nazi occupation um, and here the director played by um, uh, Adrian Brody, who we all know and love from Darjeeling Limited, um sure. is also um living in the playhouse, but he's living there because he's going through a divorce and he just uses his crew to service all of his needs. But um you know one other thing we keep talking about acting in this like dude, Hong Chow comes in for like one scene and just is like, yo, I'm going to mic drop you. And she is just, I don't know if there's a better actress today than Hong Chow right now. Yeah. She is
0: absolutely killing it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that speaks to like what I like most about asteroid city is the performances. Like I already brought up Schwartzman, but yeah, Margot Robbie as well.
1: Hong Chow, uh, and and the kids, he's great with the kids, you know, he's great at, uh, you know, we saw that in Tenenbaums, where he's very good, and Moonrise Kingdom at working with child actors, and here they they hammer it. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, I will go. I mean, this kind of goes along with some of the same themes that we're talking about here. But I'm going to go with Birdman for another piece here, as far as the uh, the blending, the different layers of the reality of the film together, and kind of the capturing that high wire act of anything can happen in live theater, and there's no telling what's going to work and what's you know, what's not going to work. And uh, to me, it felt like uh, like it was kind of capturing that whole thing. You could see a version of this movie that's done with like the faux, you know, one shot kind of thing. Like I could see that like working here. I'm so glad he didn't do that. (laughs) Oh yeah, I know. But to that point, did you notice, like, it's still obviously very Wes Anderson-y in the way that everything's shot, but there's a lot more movement going on in this
1: movie, I felt like. A lot of camera tricks. He's definitely moving the camera and going from subject to subject and even scene to scene um, in those, like, meticulous sets like he had in Zisu and Grand Budapest, I'd say. Um, So yeah, I definitely, I mean, it's beautiful. Whether you like the movie or not, like, I think, like, it's... Um, a beautiful movie and i like um you know sometimes he gets knocked for like oh his set design is so designed but i kind of loved how fake the setting looked in this one
0: yeah absolutely i mean it captures it being a play and also it's like you know the a play within a show within like we're we're dealing with different levels and layers of fakeness that kind of you know create this kind of vibe that he's going for here and so it definitely makes something that's a little bit different from his other films, but is its own
1: thing for sure. So, what do you have for your next piece? So, Dave, let's just finish up this little bit on, you know, uh, media within media of different times, uh, types, because I've mentioned this before on uh, other piecing it together, I think. And it was another one of those, you know, with this, I'm saying I wanted to stay within the play a lot of the time. Yeah. And um, I think one movie that did a pretty good job of, splitting that narrative of like what was going on in real life and what was going on in the screenplay they were writing was Bergman Island. Oh yeah. So, I wanted to bring that one up one more time and I feel like Tim Roth would be a great actor for Wes Anderson one day. Ooh, that would be good. I'd love to see Tim
0: Roth in a Wes Anderson film. But
1: uh yeah, I still haven't seen Bergman Island, but I know you speak really well of it and I want to. I don't love it, but I like it. I think the setting's great. I think they again were ambitious and attempted something and for the most part succeeded. And um, is it Maya Wachowski, who's the young female in there? She's she's really good in it again. So I just think it's one of the more original movies of the last, you know, five years. And um, I would recommend watching it. So I will go for my next
0: piece. Uh, You know, we're, we're talking about how, you know, how visually interesting this one is i mean it's the most fake looking like we said although on certainly on purpose and everything looks like sets and lots of uh you know painted backgrounds and things like that um i was just gonna go looney tunes for a puzzle piece here i mean this feels very cartoony and obviously uh wes anderson has done stop motion before but this being live action it's definitely uh, a different thing but the whole uh you know the sets the setting uh, a lot of the characters, everything just feels kind of live action
1: cartoon in a way here. I mean, if you stay through the credits, I think there is a little Roadrunner that runs across yeah. the screen. And this is definitely a wily E. Coyote Roadrunner type setting, um, which I think he shot this in Spain, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so it's kind of so. cool that... Um, is doing that and making it look like American Southwest, right? I genuinely so,
0: thought when the car was driving away at the end that it was going to crash into a board like a, you know, just a painted background, you know, which would have been totally looney tunes.
1: Yeah, that was a good um that was a good last shot when you're talking about camera movement how he kind of uh starts somewhere and then kind of moves over and then your the subject has moved again and it's like, you know, you're getting three elements in one uh, to close out there. For sure. Um so, I mean, we can talk about um, elements of the look. One thing I thought of was the original War of the Worlds, which we covered in our 1953 season. Sure. Um, the Alien, I think, is definitely almost an homage to that, where it's like got those long, slender arms and those big hands. And even the way it like kind of pops out of the spaceship to begin with is um, it's definitely got some referential stuff to war of the worlds
0: yeah i think that's a good one it's also a great uh you know transition into another piece i was going to bring up which is tim burton's mars attacks which itself aliens inspired by the monsters and aliens of the 50s and uh yeah i mean the fact that we're getting an alien in a wes anderson movie i do love um i'm totally on board with that and uh it is a really interesting weird like goofy design uh but you know with the stop motion and all that it's really cool.
1: Yeah so I'm going to do a spoiler here but um the alien is that stop motion creature and then when we get back to the play we see the person playing the alien which is Jeff Goldblum yes who talks about his motivation of playing the alien and one of the great like quick walk-ons uh, you know he's there for one scene and I love that you know his motivation for being the alien The other thing that that alien brought to my mind, I was thinking, because like the whole movie is, you know, um, like you said, it's, uh, you know, real actors and, you know, kind of quote unquote, uh, real sets or whatever, you know, or even if they're built sets there, that's the only animated bit in the movie, right? So, so I was thinking of the sequence from Savage Steve Holland's Better Off Dead in the 1980s, where you're just in it and you're in it and you're in it and then i think ain't talking about love comes on and we're in a claymation sequence and you're like i don't know what's happening but i'm going with it and it's just wonderful and lovely and um that's what that that definitely reminded me of
0: i don't think i know what that is uh but i would probably love it since i love you don't know better off
1: dead i don't think so no i think it's like one of these uh again john cusack teen movies uh it's a classic '80s movie where, like, oh, you know, you can't beat, you know, Chad in the ski race, right. <laughs> and it's yeah. all about that. And uh, it's awesome. Savage Steve Holland is one of the great '80s uh, movies and teen directors. So
0: that's awesome. Uh, that, that's that's a great piece. Then I love it. Uh, I will uh, I will go with Groundhog Day for my next one. Um, and, and this one is it's more just like an idea. I don't know that it's like a necessarily a real influence here but to me the idea that this is a play tells me that this is all going to repeat again and the way that these characters are kind of uh bringing in the actors within the movie like the actual actors playing the play uh they're bringing in their own senses of loss and grief and whatever the shit is that they're dealing with into their performances you get the idea that each night after night that they try to do this play it's going to be slightly different. And that and that kind of like leads into Birdman as well, which we talked about earlier. Um, but I was thinking Groundhog's Day just for like the idea of one of these kind of, it's going to happen over and over again kind of movies.
1: Yeah. Um, so obviously we know these timely movies are big and I think you could even, if you want to go there, you could go with Tom, Palm Springs because of the setting itself of the play and it's yeah, yeah. got that look. But um, I like movies about plays because I do like that element of like, how do we, refine and change it um i went with a different idea perhaps the same you got to reference spielberg here i'll let you take the spaceship and do what you want with it but the idea these people are stuck in their quarantine and they're stuck in a place that they um don't want to be stuck in brought to mind the terminal which is a Mm. beloved spielberg film that maybe wasn't as beloved in the theaters but uh big, big numbers on the cable television there dave yes and also you know, when you think of Wes Anderson and these meticulously designed sets, I mean that might be one of the all-time most meticulously designed sets. Spielberg basically had an entire airport design that he could work through and work with for that movie
0: yeah and tom hanks and tom hanks yeah absolutely i love seeing tom hanks here uh but yeah no that that's a good one of course you know bring more spielberg in you know of course close encounters is the thing to do but uh when we did our trailer episode i think we did mention white noise from noah bombeck uh from last year which um was heavily inspired by spielberg so you kind of go in that circle and i do still think that
1: white noise is a good uh, piece that you could include here. I think so too. I definitely remember mentioning it on the trailer episode. It had that feel and that kind of um, you know, uh apocalyptic event. What's the word I'm looking for there? Uh, uh the uh, uh apocalyptic event? No, I said that already, <laughs> but whatever. So Yeah. Plus enough. Okay, so Dave, obviously we got to talk about the idea of these uh these junior rangers here at this kind of uh, uh, facility, you know, and that brought to mind, I, we'd mentioned like moonrise kingdom of like this yeah. troop going out. So I think, you know, um, I had, uh, two of those summer camp type movies, obviously, again, we always think of wet hot American summer because like the young astronomers and how they yeah. saved the world. Yeah. And this has some very funny stuff of what these kids are inventing and how they're finding like-minded kids in the, in the trip that they couldn't find at their home. So, and then, you know, I, you know, you could pick any, uh, movie camp movie, but I mean, there was an eighties teen movie space camp where the kids are training for camp and then have to go and save the world in space. So I went with that one.
0: Those are both great. And I I can't believe I didn't think to bring what hot American summer into this. Cause yeah, you're, you're totally right. Like, uh, you know, with these kind of like weirdo kids going and learning science and, you know, doing all their little experiments and stuff. So that, that, that's a, uh. That's a great one. in Space Camp too. so I love that. I go with my last piece here, uh, probably too new also to be a puzzle piece, just like White Noise, but I'm going Everything Everywhere All at Once for my final puzzle piece um, with the Everything Bagel, you know, standing in as our lesson that, you know, it's all meaningless and everything everywhere all at once. And to me, like, that was the big thing about Asteroid Cities. It feels like, you know, the thesis of this film is that it's all kind of meaningless and empty. And that's like kind of what Wes Anderson landed on here and so that that theme kind of tied back to everything ever all at once for me well I
1: guess that would be the opposite of the theme of everything everywhere all at once right
0: well yes it eventually ends up becoming but the theme of its villain
1: what what she thought so yeah Dave how come we're able to roll through these and bring so much heat with them and then I listen to other piecing it together and they're like six hours long and you guys do three pieces when did that happen? I don't, I don't know if that's... Maybe it just feels like there's six hours. I don't know what you uh, want from me. Hey, sir. make sure you uh,
0: fill out the survey right now for piecing it together and mention that. So that way I'll keep that in mind. All right? Make it shorter. Yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of keeping it shorter, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Let's run down the list and then we'll get into some closing thoughts. Uh, we, of course, kicked it off with a bunch of Wes Anderson movies. We went to the Synecdoche, New York, The Last Metro, Birdman, Bergman Island, Looney Tunes, The War of the Worlds, Mars Attacks, Better Off Dead, Groundhog Day, The Terminal, and a bunch of Spielberg, White Noise, that brought us there, Wet Hot American Summer, and Space Camp, and then Everything Everywhere All at Once. You know, I, I think we we talked about a lot of the things that were like kind of my issues with the movie and the things that I liked about the movie. I I'm still just very mixed on this one, and I I do hope that uh, rewatch because I do want to uh, rewatch all of his movies eventually. I've been talking about that since French Dispatch came out. I just haven't had the time. I I, I will definitely rewatch this and see where it kind of lands for me after that.
1: Yeah, I was. I would even go re. I mean, I think. One, I like the movie more than you, but um also, I think I would go rewatch it in the theater because it's just so beautiful and mm. like interesting i I would like to see it again
0: yeah i I was kind of thinking this movie would look good in three d
1: does that make sense? yeah, I mean, there's a lot of train stuff, and you know we know uh the spaceship comes down, and yeah, uh all that fun stuff so yeah i uh i i I don't know, man. I think he's back. I don't know if this worked as perfectly as some of the other ones, but this one to me was a better effort than, um, than the last one. And uh, I'm excited to see his 37 minute Netflix uh, Roel Dahl movie. Yeah. That's going to be exciting to see for sure.
0: Well, uh, Jason, is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners? I
1: don't know, Dave. Uh, You know, what do I need to recommend here? Something new know. old what do you want today whatever, whatever you'd like you know i know last time you were on for the trailers episode you went old you got something new i mean the best thing i've seen recently is guardians of the galaxy 3 so hey, um, that was go. but they don't need me to recommend them they're one of the big successes yeah we talked about Rylane on the podcast probably right i think you actually did
0: it but you know what i will say uh since the last time you recommended that as your recommendation
1: i watched it and
0: you were right it's really really good
1: Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, uh, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, I've been just watching a lot of older movies uh, as opposed to new movies. I saw Dirty Harry for the first time. That movie kicks butt. Hell yeah, that's a good one.
0: Well, right on, Jason. What can uh, people expect if they go and
1: tune in to awesome movie here? Yeah, we're finishing up 1975, I would say. Wes Anderson, I know, has been uh, influenced by at least one of the movies we're about to cover, Barry Lyndon. Yeah. Um, So... I uh, I think, like I said, I I just love this season and uh, I hope people uh, respond to the enthusiasm of it. Um, so awesome movie year, awesome movie dot com, awesome movie year on Facebook and Instagram, awesome movie pod on Twitter. Jason Harris comedy, J Harris comedy on all the things. Go for Jason on Letterboxd. Give me money to make a movie. Give Jason money to make a movie. That is a
0: good note to end this on. Jason, thanks for being here.
1: All right, Dave. Less than six hours and we did it Years we've covered in past seasons include 1994, 2003, 1977, and 1984. And we've got all of film history to look forward to. So check us out at AwesomeMovieYear.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Asteroid City. Thanks to Jason Harris for joining me on that one, and thank you to you for listening. If you're enjoying Piecing It Together, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen, and drop that five-star rating and review it. I'd really appreciate it if you did that. Of course, you can also share the show and follow us on social media at PiecingPod, join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, And I told you about the Patreon at the top of the show, but I'll remind you one more time. It's the Produced by David Rosen Patreon with bonus content from Piecing It Together, awesome movie year, and from my music career. Lots of great stuff over there. So uh, with that said, um, it's time to close this thing out with a piece of my music like we always do. And uh, for a movie with little green aliens that come down. Uh, I think uh, a good fit would be Lights in the Sky from my first album, Echoes in the Dark. This will definitely be a good one to include here. So, uh, yeah, this is Lights in the Sky, which also happened to be my first music video, which you can find on my YouTube channel, Music by David Rosen. And uh, I hope you enjoy the song, and we'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.